0: Well, we are so glad to have you here at Rest and Bible Church. My name is Jim Supp. I'm one of our pastors on our staff team. I used to oversee all of our fellowship groups, and I am the interim teaching pastor here, and it is great to have you with us today. We are kicking off today a four-part series in the parables. Uh, and as I uh, began my study, I realized I need to give some background on parables. And then I realized in all of my study, we could have had just one whole week just on why parables, like the background of parables, before we even talked about a single one of them. But we're going to start today with a parable where Jesus actually explains in the parable what parables are. So he 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 taught a par he he meant he, he spoke a parable. Then the disciple said, Well why are you doing that? You know, what what does that mean? And then he went on to explain it. So what we're gonna do today is we're gonna start with the explanation, and then we're gonna go to the parable and then the explanation of the parable and then what does that mean for us today? So we're going to start with what, what's a parable all about. So a parable is a short story, often rich in imagery, that illustrates a moral or spiritual truth, here's the important part, related to the kingdom. In this passage, in Matthew 13, Jesus uses the phrase, the kingdom of heaven, seven times. Is the kingdom of heaven is like, the kingdom of heaven is like, And the disciples like, why why are you doing this? Like this was a distinct shift from what Jesus had been doing up to that point. And they asked the question in verse 10 after he kind of stated the parable, why are you doing that? So let's start in verse 10. We'll work through the explanation about why he's doing this. And we'll go back to the parable and we'll talk our way through that as well. So verse 10, it said, then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak? to them in parables these stories that illustrate a moral moral point about the kingdom why are you doing that and he answered to them to you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven there it is but to them it has not been given for to the one who has more will be given and he will have an abundance but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says, so Jesus is taking this as a prophecy fulfilled. You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive for this people's heart has grown dull and with their ears, they can barely hear and their eyes, they have been closed lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes for, you, for they see and your ears for they hear. For truly I say to you many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see which is the arrival of the kingdom in Jesus Christ is what he's talking about. And they didn't see it. You're getting to see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Father, I pray as we consider this parable, as Jesus introduces this season of his ministry, teaching primarily in parables, Father, I pray that you would help us understand, well, why did he do this? And what does this particular parable mean today? We pray in your name. Amen. Well, it seems very odd. It almost seems mean that Jesus would say, you know, I'm doing this so that some will hear and some will, they'll hear it, but they're not going to get it. Why would Jesus do that? Why would Jesus say, you know what? To some, what I'm doing here is going to bring distance. Shouldn't we be doing everything we can to draw people near? Well, let's understand a little bit about what's going on here. The Gospel of Matthew, if you want to understand the the, the summary of what the Gospel of Matthew is all about, is it is that Jesus is the king. He's the king. You need to repent and receive the king. That's the message, the approach of the gospel of Matthew. It starts from the very beginning, his arrival. He had a visitation from kings from the east, acknowledging him as the king. John the Baptist talks about the king. Jesus went out into the desert where he was tempted by the devil to prove that he is the king. In Matthew 5 through 7, he gave this massive amount of teaching that evidenced that he was the king. Then in chapters 8 through 10, he did a myriad of miracles to prove that he is the king. Now, all of this focus on Jesus being the king, something else was happening at the same time in parallel, which was a growing rejection of that reality. And by the time chapter 12 rolls around, the religious establishment declared that the power that Jesus was using to do all the things that he was doing was fueled by Satan. So it culminates in this, I am the king, I am the king, I'm bringing the kingdom to you, receive the king. To the rejection of the king in chapter 12 and in chapter 13, he makes a dramatic shift. Basically, just like your forefathers who have hardened their hearts, now I'm going to speak in parables with the singular purpose of drawing spiritually sensitive people near to me and the people who have already hardened their hearts away from me. And the gap between those who would be drawn near and those who would repel is now beginning to widen. And as he speaks in parable, one group goes, oh, and they're drawn near. And another group has gone, What's this nut talking about? And they are repelled. And it is a judgment on them for hardening their own hearts out of Isaiah chapter 6. You see, listening is really hard. We do it every day, but we often don't do it very well. Has anyone ever been accused by their spouse of, you just don't listen to me? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. You don't need to have a fight on the way out yeah I remember when my son was young little boy probably about four or five um, and he said daddy daddy and I I bent down like this to talk to him and then I got distracted and I looked to the side and he put his little hand on my face and he turned my face and he said daddy look at me when I'm talking to you We are so distracted, we don't listen. We don't pay attention. And the purpose of parables is not to confuse the spiritually interested. It's to draw them into deeper spiritual principles and realities of what the kingdom is all about. They are not self-contained moral stories. They are specifically focused on the arrival of the king who's bringing the kingdom with him. Will you accept me as king? That's what parables are. So then, let's jump into the actual parable in the midst of what he he was explaining as he started his journey of teaching through parables. Matthew 13, chapter 1. Verse 1, excuse me. "'That same day Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables.'" saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed some seed, fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seed fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, the spiritually sensitive, he says, let him hear. Then again, he explains the people like why are you doing this? He explains that. And then in verse 18, he speaks with clarity to the disciples about what all of this means. They're like, What what does this mean? We're we're sensitive, we want to know. Help us understand. Verse 18, hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, soil number one, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown into the heart. This is what has been sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in it himself and endures for a little while Emphasis on little while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately, very quickly, he falls away. As for the ones, what's sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit And yields, in one case, a hundredfold, in another, 60, and in another, 30. So let's unpack for a minute what all the different elements. You know, parables are metaphors, essentially, right? So things represent different things, and we need to understand what it is that those things are. So the first thing we need to understand is that the seed that is sown, that's cast out, is the word of the kingdom. It's the message that Jesus is saying, I am the king, I've come to you, accept me, repent, and we move forward together with me as your king. The soils, of course, represent four general heart conditions. The seed is sown, the seed remains the same. What happens from that point forward rests on the condition of the receptivity of the soil upon which it falls. The first soil, of course, is the hard soil, and this is clearly the one who is an unbelieving person. They don't respond to the seed and would likely say themselves that they are not a believer. They have not, they're not receiving the king. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away like the birds in the metaphor. What was sown in his heart? This is what was sown along the path. Now, in the first century, there were roads, but they were usually contained within cities. The cobblestone type of road that you con- that you think of, that was often the case. But out in the country where the agricultural areas were, the roadway was simply just hardened, packed earth. I mean, it was like a road. It was pretty solid. And along the sides of these roads, they, they, they kind of tilled the soil and planted their crops right up to the roadway. I grew up in corn country. And I remember growing up as a kid, there are country roads that had literally had corn right up to the side of the roadway. And as they're casting the seed, some of it goes onto this hard soil and it can't penetrate. It can't be received. The soil is way too hard for that. And it's just there. The birds come along and they eat it away. Soil number one. Now, the fourth soil, I'm going to come back to two and three in just a second. The fourth soil is the good soil. So we have the clear, un, unreceptive, unbelieving one. We have the clear, believing one. This is the true follower. The one who says, yes, absolutely. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit. And yields, in one case, a hundred, another sixty, and another thirty. This is the one who says, yes, I'm all about it. He receives it. The the, the, the seed goes into the soil. A crop is produced. Now, soils two and three are harder. They're a little tougher. Soil three is the hardest, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Soil number three is the rocky soil. The soil with no root. It says, As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. There's a receptivity in some measure, and yet it has no root. But it endures for a while, and when challenges, tribulations, persecutions arise, life happens quickly, immediately, it falls away. Where there is no root, there can be no fruit. Right, Like a a, a, a root system, a a healthy root system is required in order for this crop, whatever it happens to be, to produce what it should naturally produce with healthy soil. In the present day expression of God's kingdom, and I'll explain more about that as we go along, in the body of Christ, the church, There are two types of people. There are those who truly believe, and there are those who do not believe. But the challenge is, from the human perspective, we can't always tell. God knows. God knows 100% who is a true follower of Jesus in the body of Christ, and and who is among us who, who are not true followers of Jesus. Here's the problem. That we face as human beings, we want it to be black and white and clear from our perspective, and that's just not always the case. And that's what soils two and three represent: people for whom God is sure and time will tell, but for whom we struggle because we we want, especially for those that we love, we want to be perfectly clear. But you see, soil number two is one who appears to believe, but, but in short order, there's a lack of fruit because there is no root. Now, I'm going to say something that's going to be a challenge for some of you to hear, but stick with me. There is a belief that doesn't save. Like, what? What do you mean by that? There's a belief that doesn't save. James says... You show me your faith without your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. What James is saying is there is a such thing as a dead faith and a living faith. And the living faith produces fruit because they have the root. But there is a kind of faith that there is an expression of faith that has no root, that doesn't produce fruit, that is a dead faith. See, believing right theology, well, it says in James also that even the demons believe, and they shudder for all their belief and Picture-perfect theology, it hasn't affected them. I, I know atheists who could articulate the gospel better than many believers that I know for their lack of belief. Let me give you a scripture to illustrate. In Acts chapter 8, there's a f- fascinating story that many have struggled with over the centuries. It starts in verse 9 of Acts chapter 8. It says, But there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him, from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because, of a long, because he, for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, Philip had come to preach the gospel in Samaria. He preached the good news about the kingdom in the name of Jesus Christ. They were baptized, both men and women. Here it is. Even Simon himself believed. And after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. You understand, in the foundational elements of the church, in Acts chapter 2, the initial Jews received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 8, the Samaritans as a people group, the Holy Spirit came there. And then Acts chapter 10, the Gentiles as a people. And, and what God was saying was, I am for all people groups. So they came and they received the Holy Spirit, those who had believed. Verse 17. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money. Give me this power also so that anyone whom I lay my hands on may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this manner for your heart is not right with God. Simon was a sort of soil number two. He believed but it wasn't a belief that was based on true understanding, the depths of clarity of what it means to have the king received into your life because he clearly had not received the king. He wanted to embrace the journey through money. We conclude that Simon was not a true and genuine believer, not a living faith but a dead faith based on a lack of understanding of the true gospel. The last of the soils, it's actually soil number three. We've covered soil one, soil four, soil two, and soil three now is the other and the most challenging soil for us to understand as we journey together in this expression of the kingdom of God, which is the church age. It says, the fourth soil is the soil with the thorns, the things of this world that choke out the seed. Verse 22, as for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. It's the toughest and it is the scariest soil of them all because what it means is that there are those in the church, in the body of Christ who may walk along the journey for extended periods of time having made some sort of profession and yet the journey seems to reveal a greater allegiance with the things of this world than of with embracing jesus as the king first john chapter 2 says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. When I met Jesus 43 years ago in the late 70s, I entered into a stream of evangelicalism at that time, which would be called fundamentalism. Fundamentalism was basically an expression, a focus on a separation to such a degree that it eliminated all of these things that we don't do. We didn't drink, we didn't dance, uh, we didn't go to movies. You can't go see Cinderella because someone watching you walk into that movie theater might think you're going to the R-rated movie and not to Cinderella, so you can't go at all. We didn't play cards. Crazy Eights was off the table because some people gamble. This is true. This was the environment. The pendulum in evangelicalism is swinging. Things are happening in culture and they're happening rapidly that are impacting the church that are creating, hear me now, from my perspective, a larger population of soil threes in the church. People who are battling. Now again, I am not in favor of fundamentalism. I saw a lot of destruction in the lives of people during that season. I saw a lot of kids. I went off to college, a Christian college, as a brand new believer, and I watched all of these kids who grew up in what they felt to be oppressive Christian homes freak out when they got to college. Freak out, because they suddenly weren't under that anymore. 30 years later, one of those guys who was freaking out in college showed up in my church with a strong faith in Jesus, I would have looked at him in college and gone, dude, soil number three. <laughs> and 30 years later, what came to fruition was a true soil number four. The problem is, is we want to be sure when we look at the lives of those that we love, but only God can be sure. I believe that there are three reasons why the primary population of the average conservative church today is populated by soil number fours and a lot more soil number threes people that are struggling people that are dipping their toe more and more over into the world and i want to three things three developments in the church creating more soil number threes the first is a compromised gospel to a pampered generation a compromised gospel to a pampered generation. When at, at the, as the pendulum swung away from fundamentalism, what it began to swing to was a reaching out to, in, in kind of marketing strategies to be attractional. Come to, the God, come to Jesus and see what he's going to do with your life. As if you will be problem-free. If you accept Jesus, and you go to church and you give your money and you stay away from the big sins, Jesus is going to give you the life that you want, which is your internal version of the American dream. And that is not the gospel. It is not the gospel. It doesn't have anything to do with what it's going to cost you to follow Jesus, it doesn't have anything to do with its commitment to Him that puts Him above you. It is a person centered gospel that has invaded the church along the way. And many have grown up wondering, I've done all this for you. I've given my life to you. I give my money to you. I serve in the nursery. Where's the life that I want? It hasn't quite panned out that way. And that's a false gospel. That is a distorted gospel. To a pampered generation. And when I say that, I mean all of us. And then, when you add into that reality, number two, the false church that has been raging in recent decades, the prosperity gospel that says that God always wants you healthy and rich, which you can find no Bible verses to support that. Who doesn't want that? I'll come to Jesus and I'm always going to be healthy and wealthy. What? Of course you're disillusioned. Of course people are drawn into the world. Well, if this isn't working, I tried that. How many times in my journey have I heard somebody say, I tried it. It didn't work for me. What do you mean by work for you? What is your definition of work for you? the third element in the infusion into the church has increased the number if, if if you will of soil number 3 is the strugglers who are battling with did the faith that i grew up in is it really mine is it really right is the infusion of culture the infusion of culture and it's because of this it's because of this all of us have culture coming into our brains all day, every day, with our permission. We let it. We let it. My wife had her physical, uh, just an annual physical a couple days ago, and uh, the doctor said to her, I recommend that you turn off all screens four hours before you go to bed. And she's like, do you do that? And he's like, I do. And you're like, for many of us, this is the last thing we check before we go to bed. What are the messages that I've received? How many likes did I get on that post today? And on it goes. What's, my la- what's, the- what's saying on my latest news feed? Constant messaging from the world at our own permission. We are the first generation. If you have a teenager or a young adult, we are the first generation with children who have technology at their access almost 24-7. And those messages, come to me. The world is saying, come to me, come to me. We look attractive. We can help. Oh, the, the, the messages that you received, you're not sure you buy it? Come to me. We can't have old-fashioned book burnings or record burnings, phone burnings, this is here to stay. It's how we manage what comes into our lives. And I believe that many people are struggling. We, everyone has to own their own faith. If you grew up in the church and you're, and you're kind of asking the question, do I believe this? What, what does this mean? I want to encourage you to struggle. But I want to encourage you to struggle with God. Not without him. When when Jacob met God at the Jabbok River and they wrestled together, Jacob wrestled with God. He didn't launch out into the world apart from God. To test out this and to test out that, any philosophy can sound really good. Any one. And we have record numbers of students who are going off to college and come home after the first semester of their freshman year at Christmas time and declare that they don't believe in God anymore because some smart-talking philosophy professor in Philosophy 101 talked them out of their faith like that. Wrestle with God, not apart from God. In the church, providing safe places for conversations with real answers to hard questions. I was watching a video. It was a conversation between a guy by the name of uh, Josh Steingard, who was the lead singer for Hawk Nelson, who grew up in the church and has walked away from his faith and Sean McDowell, who is the son of Josh McDowell, many of you know Josh, a, a multi, has been for generations, has been doing apologetics and things of the faith. And John was asking very, very real questions. He was asking age-old questions, like about the problem of evil in the world and some of these kind of things, that have really good answers if you're engaging in the right places. And John was saying, you know, I went to the third world and I visited the third world and I came back just struggling. I came back upset with God for the, for the challenges that these people were facing and the evil that was there and the pain that they were experiencing and it caused me to question my walk with God. And this is what Sean said. It was, it was unbelievable. It was powerful. He said, you know, what I've discovered when I go to the third world, as a pampered American, I struggle more with God for them than they struggle with God for them. What I find those people doing is in their struggles, they lean into God. They're not struggling with the existence of God. They're not struggling with evil or pain in the world. In the midst of their pain, they are pursuing God. And as you observe their pain, you're moving away. And John was stunned. He'd never thought of it that way before. That his vantage point in as a cultural American in all that we experience and the, 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 the opportunity and the prosperity that we have is what fueled some of his struggle with God on behalf of people who aren't struggling with God in the same way. When you wrestle, wrestle with with God ask the questions they are good questions but where are you seeking the answers to those questions so four soils four heart conditions in this challenge of I can't always tell we can't always tell in the midst of the, the movement forward of the church God's expression of the kingdom here the, what's going on in a certain person's life let me just say this it's very, very important for you to understand that in spite of the fact that I can't tell or we can't tell what's happening in the heart and the life of my loved one, the truth of the matter is the Bible is very, very clear that when someone embraces Jesus as their king, the way the Bible speaks about, that they have a relationship with God and they are eternally secure. And I want to take a few moments to talk about that. I have seen many people over the course of my journey who made a profession of faith in Christ when they were young. Then they kind of made some mistakes through the college age, more than likely, and then later kind of came back around. Now, did they accept Christ and then struggle? They were still eternally secure, and then they came back later? Or did they not really have an understanding of what it meant to receive Christ as a child? They kind of went their way, and then when they kind of came back, as it were, later, it was really the time of their conversion that is above my pay grade. It is. And it causes all of us who love people who are struggling and look like soil number three to, to, to struggle. I wish I had a better answer than God knows. But that's where we pray. That's where we continue to encourage But one thing is very, very clear. There are four truths about eternal security. That when we are born again, we are regenerated. We go from spiritual death to spiritual life. And we don't go back to spiritual death again. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. Born again means born again. Do born again people struggle and do stupid, bad things? Sometimes. Can I always tell what's going on in their heart? No. Ephesians 2 says, And you were dead in the, transpa- in, in the tr- trespasses and sins. God, even when he w- we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And when we become born again, when we are regenerated, we are a new creation. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation Old has passed away, the new has come. And when all of that happens, some very, very important critical things happen that would have to be undone, that would have to unhappen, that would be very, very difficult, and the Bible doesn't teach that. Such as, we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. In... Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. The Holy Spirit seals us until the day when our salvation comes to full fruition. If I could lose my salvation, I would have to somehow be unsealed. The Bible does not teach that. Another thing that happens, and I could mention many, this is just a few, is that we are adopted into God's family. Galatians 4 But when the fullness of time had come God sent forth his son born of a woman born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons and because you are sons God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying Abba Father so you are no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir God doesn't kick people he doesn't unadopt people Does that mean people who are his children don't do stupid, sinful things sometimes that make them look like they're not his children? Yes. Can we always tell where they are? No. But to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God. So what's our bottom line for today? The bottom line is, be soil four. Be soil four. Maybe we have a few people here today, either here or are online, who, as I'm speaking this, they're like, "I am totally soil number one." Yeah, my heart is hard. I am like that hard-packed soil." And my response to you is, let's have a conversation. Let's have a non-judgmental conversation about where you are why you're there why you think your heart is hardened and let's see where we go let's talk about it maybe here today we have a few people who are say yep i'm totally soil number four i was like yeah this is awesome but i'm kind of going nowhere fast in a very short period of time. i'm like well let's get you connected. let's get you involved. let's let's kind of from our perspective confirm that you are soil number 4 by getting you involved in a, a small group or in some kind of bible study or a mentoring relationship, discipleship relationship that deepens that commitment. God already knows where you are. I don't. But let's move that forward. Some of you are here today and you're saying, I am totally soil number three. I don't know that I like the faith of my parents or the the church tradition or environment that I grew up in. And let me say this loud and clear. I believe that there are very few people in the world, especially in the church, who reject Jesus they reject what they estimate to be a poor reflection of Jesus as manifested to them in the church, by their family, or someone else. So if you are soil number three, do not move away from Jesus on the merit of Jesus because that's kind of impossible. (laughs) Struggle through what it means to own your own faith in spite of the experiences that you have had. Is there a lot of craziness going on in the evangelical church right now? Yes, there is. It's very confusing. When high-profile people walk away from their faith or high-profile people show themselves to be consummately sinful in a way that you're like, I would never do that. We all have the capacity in your mind, you think you could never do that. Under other circumstances, you just might. But very few people reject Jesus on the merit of Jesus. And I believe that following Jesus best explains with the least amount of difficulties where I've come from, why I'm here, and where I'm going, and how to get there. No other faith, ism, orology comes remotely close to the claims of Jesus, to answer, not perfectly, because there aren't any for the finite human mind, your questions. And please don't trip over the faith of your family, of your parents, of the church. Engage Jesus. Don't go somewhere else for your answers. Go to Jesus. But the world is calling. Come to me. Come to me. If you're for soil number four today, I just want to urge you to double down, to, to continue to do what you're doing, to follow Jesus, to grow in him, to gather in biblical community, to give back into the body of Christ and to go into the world and proclaim that. When you share the gospel with somebody else, you know what you do? You firm it up in your own heart every single time. When you are called to defend your faith, when you are called to respond to somebody else's questions, you kind of go, you kind of remind yourself, yeah, I really do believe that. That's good. (laughs) There's a fifth person that I want to talk to today. You're like, wait a minute, there's only four soils. Yeah, there's a fifth person. And it's the person for whom the seed has never been cast into their life before. There are those maybe here today or online who've never heard this notion that Jesus has come specifically saying, I am the king, Mark chapter 1, repent and come to me. Let me be the king of your life. When Jesus was rejected as the king, as he was offering it to those who he came to, he went to the cross, they crucified him. And there was a transition in the focus of the kingdom to a new manifestation of the kingdom on earth, which is a spiritual inward condition, and the church was born. The manifestation of God's kingdom through his people spiritually internally. And the gospel is, Jesus died on the cross And you can exchange your sinful condition for his righteousness, which is the only access to a relationship with him and ultimately to eternity. You can't work your way there. There's nothing by merit that you can do to gain acceptance in God's eyes. And if you have never said yes to Jesus as your king in any way, shape, or form, I want to challenge you to receive it to let it sink in, to take active steps to develop that. And we can help you with that. Jesus wants to be your king today. And you do that by receiving the payment that he made on the cross for you. Father, thank you. Thank you for the power of your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that not only did you preach in parables, but You graced us with an explanation because they can be challenging. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have an opportunity to have a relationship with you as king. And I pray, Father, for anyone with us today who's hearing it for the first time. I pray for those who are soil number one that are hardened for whatever reason. I pray, Father, for those who may have received it with excitement like a a soil number two but aren't really going anywhere. Father, my heart is especially as I have pastored for years and I look at the church for the soil number threes. The people who are internally saying, I don't even know where I am personally. For whom critical decisions about how they will engage your word and whether or not to engage the things of this world for their answers will determine everything about the long-term fruitfulness of their lives. And I pray that the church would be a safe place for soils one, two, and three to come and have conversations, to struggle through. What does it mean? Father, so that we can walk together as soil number four, it's together, to your honor and your glory. Father, we pray all these things in your great and mighty name, amen.